standing. Let's uh, turn to God's Word, Second Peter chapter one. If you're able to, if you if you need to be seated, that's fine. Uh, no foul, no harm. Either way, take your Bibles. Turn to page uh, ten eighteen if you want to use a Bible from the church. There should be one in front of you. This morning, while we're going to look at just the first two verses of Second Peter, I want to read all eleven verses. This is our summer scripture passage. We'll be preaching on this. For, uh, for 11 of the 13 weeks this summer. It also coincides with our summer scripture memory verse. And uh, there's an insert in your bulletin that has these verses on here. So take this home and use this as other, well as other things to help uh, your, aid you in m- memorizing this passage. So we'll spend the summer marinating in it uh, both as we preach, but then during the week as we memorize. Remember it as well. These are God's words for us this morning. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, the first 11 verses, this is what God says to us. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so short-sighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will in, in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. There's no word like your word. Now help us, Father, to spend these next few moments considering your word. 
teach us, but not just teach us, Father. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want or need just information. We want to be changed by your Spirit through your Word. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Eleven weeks in eleven verses. Actually, uh, in, in the, when Peter wrote this, when he literally wrote this, those first 11 verses were just one long, complex sentence. But to keep us from going crazy, our, our translations divided up into, at least this translation, into seven sentences so that we can kind of like get the lay of the land and, and kind of pick it apart and understand it and make sense of it. One of the burdens of this letter of Second Peter, we're, we're obviously not going to spend our time in, um, in all of the book, and yet the book as a whole um, was written, um, at, at the, at Peter's burden, if you would, was to address the threat of false teaching. Peter, in this letter, after we move past these 11 verses, Peter, uh, Peter will speak of the nature and the danger of false teachers. And yet, one of the things he does from the start, that he does particularly in these first 11 verses, as it relates to the whole book, is one of the ways that Peter uh, is going to prepare us to withstand false teaching and false teachers is for us to be intentional about charting a course of cultivating our spiritual maturity. The surest way to to be impervious to the threats of false teachers and false teaching is to make sure that we are accepting the responsibility of growing in our maturity and in our spiritual development. The explicit call in the passage I've just read for spiritual maturity is right there in verse 5. We're we're not going to deal with verse 5 this morning, but I'm just going to orient you to what we are going to try to make our way through this summer. For this very reason, make every effort... It's very, it's very bold and strong. I mean, there's nothing ambu- ambiguous about this. He's like, does he want us to like work at this or what? You know, make every effort to supplement your faith. And then he and he lists seven things that are character traits or virtues. In fact, um, we will spend seven of the eleven weeks just in verses 5, 6, and 7, looking at each of these traits or virtues, these qualities that, that you and I are to intentionally cultivate in our lives. We have a responsibility to exert effort, effort into our spiritual maturity. And it's, it's really important for us to understand because I think... I think Much of the Christian culture spins a half gospel and presents it as the whole gospel. And there's nothing wrong with giving a half of a gospel if you tell people, now this is just a half of a gospel. 
Well, that's probably not a good idea either. But, but what's really bad is to give half of a gospel and, and, and to convey or to insinuate that that's it, that's it. That's what I've got to need to know. That's right. You're all good then. For, for instance, when we think about, when we read this passage, it, 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 just, it just jars us. Make every effort. Now, wait a minute. I thought I heard you say before that we were saved by grace. Uh-huh. We are saved by grace. And the contradistinction to being saved by grace would be to, for us to be a people who think we can earn our own salvation. Earning our salvation is incompatible with grace. Exerting effort in the salvation that we've received is not incompatible with grace. So when he says, make every effort... He, he's, we, we, we shouldn't hear that and go, whatever. I mean, he's just joking again, isn't he? Because we know we're saved by grace and not by effort. No, we know we're saved by grace and not by our own merit. But when salvation comes our way, it is life-altering. And the very grace that, that is God's kind disposition to rescue us is the very grace that is the powerful agent that works change into our lives. Listen to, listen to how Paul says this uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says in verse 9, uh, b- verse 10 rather, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And, and then, but notice what he connects yet. That connects next. Uh, for by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain, not without effect. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. See, see when grace landed in Paul's life, it didn't sedate him, it energized him. It didn't paralyze him, and it, 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 it propelled him. I am what I am by the grace of God, and, and yet his, his grace in my life and toward me was not without effect. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. When, Paul, when Peter now says, make every effort, we have to lean into that. That's not an optional little ditty uh, that, that can be picked up and received by, by the Green Beret branch of the Christian faith. Special forces. This is just basic blocking and tackling. If we are owned and purchased by Jesus, then, then we lean into when our Lord through Peter says, make every effort. But before we get there, I'm going to spend verses 1 and 2 this morning and verses 3 and 4 next week, Lord willing, uh, orienting us. Because on the one hand, while we want to make every effort, that's not the starting point of the conversation. The starting point of the conversation in verses 1 and 2 is, first of all, we must know something of, uh, of what God has provided us by giving us Jesus that we are brought into a relationship with Jesus. And so make 
every effort is predicated upon being in relationship with Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're not in relationship with Jesus, then ixnay what I've said about make every effort because the starting point is not you making every effort. The starting point is what does verses 1 and 2 say to me about a relationship with Jesus? And then next week when we look at verses 3 and 4, we'll, we'll look at now having received Jesus and living in relationship with Him, what are the divine resources that God places in me and gives to me so that picking up those divine resources and living in those divine resources, I can begin to make sense of the clear order to make every effort. Two things I want to say briefly this morning about the verses 1 and 2. First of all, I want to speak about the reception of faith, and then I want to speak just a little bit about the response of faith. Notice how Paul, um, Peter, I'm going to probably get these two guys mixed up here, but you know I mean Peter whenever I say Paul from here on out this morning, right? Unless I mean Paul. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle, uh, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Now, this is just an odd way of describing someone who is a believer, someone who is a Christian. To, uh, that may not be the way that, that, that we would maybe think to express um, a, a Christian. A Christian, you, we would say a Christian is someone who has turned to Jesus and is trusting in Him. And, and that's true, that's right, that, that's a good way of putting it as well. And yet, and yet Peter comes at it from a different uh, vantage point, looks at it from a different angle. Um, those who have turned to Jesus and are trusting in, in Him uh, are those who have obtained. The notion is that of we've been given something, we've received something, we've obtained a, a, a faith. So, so our trusting in Jesus, on the one hand, is something that we do. No one believes in Jesus for us. Our response to Jesus must be personal and it must be wholehearted. And yet, on the other hand, trusting in Jesus is a God given ability, it has been gifted to us. Listen to what Paul says, and this time I mean Paul, what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Verses 8 and 9. For it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Uh, this is not your own doing, Paul says. So, so by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It, it, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In fact, one of the ways I think we could sort through and distinguish between those who truly are Christians and, and those who may have a, uh, just a superficial, uh, tacit, verbal assent to Jesus is uh, lots of people say they're Christians. Lots of people say they believe in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's not for me to ultimately sort that out. That's in God's hand. And God will sort that out. God will separate the wheat from the chaff at the day of judgment. And, 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 yet, and, and yet, 
one of the differences is that you, you can say you believe in Jesus, but have you received a gracious gift from God that gives you an earnest, wholehearted response to the Lord Jesus Christ? It, it's a gift, he says, it, it, that you have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. It, you hear what, this, is, this is a big shot talking here. This is Peter, an apostle, and he's saying the faith that I have in Jesus is, is so much better than the faith that you might have in Jesus. No, that's not what he's saying. He said, the faith that I have in Jesus is the same kind of precious faith that gives you as equal of a standing before God as I have. In other words, we, we don't have these um, religious classifications of, of there's, uh, there's those way up here who are the saints, and they have a higher spot in the heaven, and then there's folks like you and I. Now, the, one of the reasons why that's such a dangerous notion is we look at Peter and we say, well, well, sure, Peter is one of those who thinks that we ought to exert great effort and, and cultivate our spiritual maturity. I mean, he's, he's top-tier guy. I, I'm, I'm low-tier guy. I mean, for, for me, exerting every effort to grow in my spiritual maturity, I mean, that's just like extra credit stuff. I mean, that's not really required of me because I'm a low-bottom faith guy. I'm not a top-tier faith guy. No, that's, P- Peter is saying, look, look, the, the same thing I'm saying to you is the same thing that is needed in, for me, and the thing that's needed for me is the same thing that's needed for you. If you name the name of Jesus, it is imperative, knowing that you have the same kind of relationship with God through Jesus as Peter does, it is imperative that, that you see there's not multiple tiers or multiple classifications of Christians, and some have to be earnest about making every effort, and some of us don't. Some of us can take this stuff seriously, and some of us don't have to. A faith of equal standing as ours. And then he says, by the, by this, this faith that we've obtained. When we think about receiving a gift, we, we make we want to make note of where did that gift come from? Um, that we've obtained um, uh, a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And really what he's saying by that last phrase, by, by uh, 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 the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is he's, he's really talking omnidirectional here. On the one hand, faith is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so while fa- faith is something that looks to Christ, what he's also ha- adding here is that faith is something that comes from Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, that certainly is worthy of our trust. And yet, when Jesus died on the cross, he secured all the blessings of our salvation, including the blessing of being able to be gifted a faith that would look to him and trust in him. He doesn't hang on the cross and say, now, I've come this far. Now, you figure out how to get to here the rest of the way. No, the, his, the blessings of salvation are so robust, he holds himself out as an object of our trust. And yet, the very thing he purchased on the cross was the very grace, the very divine enablement to gift us the ability to truly trust and to look, in, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Isn't that amazing? We trust in Jesus with a trust from Jesus. That's why I think the writer of Hebrews would, 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 would tag Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who enables us to get this started, and he's the one who enables us to bring this to its completion. We, we, we don't, at the end of the day, we who believe in Jesus, we don't pull out a mirror and do a selfie and, and pat ourselves on the back. No, all praise and honor and glory belong to Jesus. He has rescued us. He's, he's, even, he's even worked into our hearts the enablement for us to see him as such and to love him as such and to trust in him as such. Then he goes on in verse 2, may, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God and, and of Jesus our Lord. When you and I have obtained a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, from Jesus unto Jesus, then you and I are the bona fide recipients of a whole boatload of stuff that Peter just summarizes and says, peace and grace. In other words, peace in, in, is really a Hebrew word. Peace is more than the, than the absence of conflict. Uh, the, the Hebrew word shalom means a, a, a whole load of blessings. In fact, every, every sense of our well-being is, is found in the notion of peace. Grace. We receive favor from God. Oh, it's unearned favor, but boy, it's favor just the la- the, nonetheless. So, in other words, uh, so just, it, we, could, we, could, we could pull this apart and unpack all of these facets and nooks and crannies, and yet for now he just says that for, for those who have obtained a faith uh, as, 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 as equal standing as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, grace and peace are now yours. And that grace and peace is, is, he says, may it be multiplied. And, and we'll come back to this in a second. In other words, um, that, that, that it's, it's not a static quality of grace and peace. It's a dynamic uh, experience of grace and peace, ever growing, ever expanding in our souls. I would suggest to you that every single morning, you and I receive things like grace and mercy and peace from God. And, and yet, in part of his kindness, every morning as we grow in the Lord, he, 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 he expands our capacities to experience even more of his grace and mercy and peace. Now, that's a good reason to be optimistic about tomorrow because you know what? Today you've been given all the grace and mercy and peace that you can have and that you need, and yet tomorrow you're going to get more, quantitative and qualitatively more. It's because it's ever being multiplied to us. It says here, uh, in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Let me just say a quick word about that. In the knowledge. Now, in the New Testament, there are several different kinds of words that get translated knowledge. There's that kind of knowledge that uh, what we would call book smarts. Um, in other words, you, you read a book or two, and now you know a thing or two. 
Um, and uh, in fact, um, uh, this is the whole category of how you could have someone who's, on the one hand, been to the university, been to grad school, been to d- doing doctoral work and postdoctoral work, and be the biggest fool in the neighborhood. Because they got lots of book smarts, but they don't have a lick of sense about anything that's really important in life. But, but, they, but they, they have information. Oh, but you know what? Uh, and I wish the world of Twitter would understand this, but, uh, but, and social media. It's, it's like there is, a, there is a world of difference between having information and having the wisdom to know what to do with that information. No, the, 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 the notion of knowledge here, and this really gets to the heart then of, of this reception of faith that we've received. It's from Jesus. It's in Jesus. And when he says um, in the knowledge of our God and Savior, Jesus uh, Christ, he's talking about what I would call personal knowledge, relational knowledge, not simply a matter of information dump. Not simply a matter of being book smart. By the way, I'm not putting being book smart down. Uh, I'm just saying book smart needs other aspects of knowledge for it to be more holistic. For instance, this summer, in August, it will be 40 years that I've been married to Diane. I know her. And, uh, and she's rolling her eyes like that, and, yeah, and I know him too, you know. But anyway, so the, the blessing is only one way here, I guess. But, uh, but, but is there a difference between being married to somebody and living with them and, and, the, and the ins and outs of daily life over 40 years and, and just simply saying, you know, uh, I went to the library and I found a biography on Diane Byington and I read it. And I, I think I know that girl now. Peter is describing a knowledge, not that's just merely been obtained by a book, that you have some bits and pieces of information. This is the knowledge of relationship. This is the knowledge of a husband and a wife. This is a knowledge between a present parent and child. This is a knowledge between good friends who spend time with each other. Not merely knowing some things about Jesus, but knowing him himself. That's what faith consists of. And therein is found the grace and the peace. These are not found because we believe in the notion of Jesus. Or we believe in a theoretical construct that we somehow said, let's call that Jesus. No, that we believe in this person, this Jesus. This is the faith that we have received. And this is where grace and peace are found in relationship with Jesus. And, 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 this, this, and this is what faith consists of. It's not mere uh, ascent of a knowledge, of an awareness of a historical person. It is a living relationship and a living experience and encounter with Jesus right here, right now. And just like with any relationship, any relationship you are in alters how you function and how you live in your life. You say, well, I'm, I'm married to that woman, but it's got nothing to do with the way I live my life. We'll say, well, you don't know nothing about relationship. It just, we can't say I live in a relationship with Jesus and, and that have no bearing on what we do beyond this hour that we meet in this room. 
I, that was, can we function at any moment throughout our day with, without a, some sense of cognizance of, of how, how should I think? How should I feel? How should I speak? How should I relate? Uh, how should I post? How should I do life? Uh, because I'm living in relationship with Jesus. And, and, I, and I, what, I, what I first want to do is I want everything to be about cultivating an even deeper relationship with Jesus. So that as we do, that grace and mercy get multiplied. That's why I said grace and mercy is not a static quality. It may be multiplied. It's multiplied in and through our relationship with Jesus. And then the, the, last, the second point I'm going to make, I'll make it real quick. Um, and, and that is, there's the, so there's the um, reception of faith, and then there's the response of faith. And particularly what I mean by this is, if faith is experiencing a relationship with Jesus... We have to know, and therefore we have to live out some of these things that are true about Jesus. I think one of the problems that so it's so, one of the reasons it's so hard to even for us to share our faith is um, uh, it, it's like you, you, it, it, you know people say, "Well, tell me about Jesus." And, and, uh, and we're the people that say, well, I've, I've known Jesus for 30 years now. I've known Jesus for 40 years now. Well, tell me about Jesus. Um, 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 I don't know. Let me, let me speed down the preacher uh, and, and see what he can tell me about Jesus. You know? And that's fine. I, if, if you get stumped and want me to tell you something about Jesus, I can do that. that, that, that i got no, got no qualm in that. But what I'm saying is that what do you know about Jesus? You're the one who says that you profess faith in him and are living in a relationship with him. What is it about him that you think is so special that you are in awe of that is altering the way you live your life? Uh, as opposed to? Yeah. No, this has got to be real. And, and there's, there's four descriptions. There's a fourfold description here about Jesus. And... Um, We'd have to, we, we can't unpack all of this, but, but here's what he says in the, sec, the very last part of verse 1. It says, by the righteousness of our, of, our, of our God and Savior. Here in this verse, he's saying that Jesus is, 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 is Savior, and he's saying that Jesus is God. Now, in verse 2, he'll differentiate Jesus from God, meaning God the Father. But here in verse 1, he's, he's saying, by, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's three of the four things right there that, that, is, that is being said about Jesus. Three of the four things that, that living in relationship with Jesus, first of all, means we are living in relationship with God. Jesus is God. He's distinct from the Father, but he's no less God than the Father. Imagine this. You and I were made by God to live in relationship with God, and our sin has cut us off from that sort of relationship. But, 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 but in living in relationship with Jesus, we get to live in relation. We were made for this. We, our hearts can only be satisfied when we're reconnected to the very God who made us, and we find that in Jesus for living in a faith relationship with Jesus means that we are living in relationship with God. And as such, then living in relationship with Jesus as God means that we worship and adore this one whom we are in relationship with. We are like, I can't believe I get to be with him. 
He's also our God and our Savior. He is the one whom we not only get to live in relationship with as God, but He is the one who has figured out the way for us to rightly live in relationship with holy God. He is the one who has come down and did what we were required to do, that is live a perfect life. He did that in our place, and then he went to the cross, and he paid the price that would have been required us to pay, and that is how do we satisfy divine justice? We have offended an infinite and holy God. Who's going to fix that problem? The God-man has come, and he hung on the cross, and there at the cross, he absorbed the the full vent of God's justice that would be hanging over our heads. That is why hell will be forever because that's how long it will take for you and I on our own to satisfy divine justice. But at a moment in time, the divine God-man came down and in a moment of time, he has satisfied divine justice so that any and all who look to Jesus are pardoned. Not a flimsy pardon, but a full and complete and final pardon. So we live in relationship with Jesus as God, meaning we worship him. We live with Jesus in relationship as our Savior, meaning that we depend upon him. We trust in him. We, we live in relationship with Jesus, it says there, because he is Jesus Christ. That's not his last name. That's his, actually a title. And, and the quick and skinny of it is that to live in relationship with Jesus as the Christ means that everything spoken of in the Old Testament, all of the anointing upon the Messiah, the role of prophet, the role of priest, the role of king, all that was belonging to God and dedicated to God, Jesus is the one who fulfills all of those promises. Jesus is the one in whom we can find everything we need in life. We need a prophet, we need a priest, we need a king, and we have one. His name is Jesus. He is the anointed one. And we can rest. Our relationship with Jesus consists of resting in him. And then the last thing in the, in the verse 2 May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, in this case meaning God the Father, and of Jesus. And here's the last thing, the, last, the, the fourth description, our Lord. And that, that title reminds us um, that you and I, when we belong in relationship to Jesus, we are no longer our own. We no longer are the boss of me. We no longer call our own shots. We no longer chart our own course. We no longer do our own thing. We, we no longer are, are, the, are, are the captain of our own ship and the master of our own fate. Our souls have been laid claim to by Jesus. He is our Lord. Now, so here's four quick descriptions, and, and we can't, don't go there, we can't say, well, uh, you know, that's four things. Can I just pick maybe two of those four? I don't know how many Jesuses are there. There's only one Jesus, and this one Jesus is God and Savior and Christ and Lord. Now, so you're saying, do you want a fourth of Jesus? Or do you want Jesus? I mean, can you try this when you get home? Say to your spouse, you know, I just want a fourth of you. 
and, and expect the relationship to go well this week. All right, I try, it, try it at home, kids. I'm just warning you. It, 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 you know, our, our, our wives are way too smart to know that that's the way this swing works. Well, it doesn't work this way with Jesus as well. In fact, in, in fact these four dis- there are four distinct descriptions, and yet they're inseparable aspects of the one and only Jesus. They all go together. For instance, uh, if he was not God and Christ, he would not be Savior. And experientially, this morning, as we speak about turning to Christ... If he is not acknowledged as Lord, then he cannot be received as Savior. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that your word tells us about us and our lives, but even more importantly about God and what God has done and is doing and will do in his Son by his Spirit. So thank you, Father, for Christ. Thank you that... You have done a work in us so that we see Jesus as altogether different. We see him as he is, God, Savior, Christ, Lord. Thank you for helping us to know these things. And now may this day, this week, may we live in relationship with Jesus. And may the life that we live be an out growth, an overflow of all that Christ nourishes our hearts with. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and